Welcome to Product Stories, where we explore how founders build successful software products. This is a podcast about product management, development, remote work, and anything else non-technical as well as technical founders need to know to launch and scale software products. Today's guest is Nick Jordan, founder of Content Distribution, and together we'll dive into the challenges and benefits of building out an entire startup team in Eastern Europe, first for his agency, then for his SaaS product. Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I've been I've been excited all week to to be to be here today. <laughs> That's super great to hear. Well, well, why why don't you tell us then a little bit of a background about yourself and your companies? Yeah, for sure. So my name is Nick Jordan. I'm originally from Seattle, which means I just you know grew up in in one of the tech capitals, and you know I've been grinding to get where I'm at today for the last twelve years, and I didn't really come together until 2020 when our agency grew from one one full-time employee to 25. And at the end of 2020, we launched a, a SaaS product that we've been using internally for a couple of years. And now we have 2,000 users and about 160,000 ARR. Wow, that's that's very impressive. Uh, what what is the business about? Uh, who's the target customer? So so contentdistribution.com is a is a content creation agency and basically we distribute content through organic search. And we've brought four projects from 0 to 100,000 organics per month and the largest is doing over 500,000 organic visitors each each month. And and the product that we made available is basically an automated keyword research tool that we've used to power these projects and we attribute a lot of the success that we've had in SEO to to this tool and essentially what it does is it allows you to to identify the entire opportunity to get in front of your your target customer and it has a list of every single unique page that you would want to create to reach them across the funnel and so you can absolutely saturate you know where your customers already are searching for today awesome and uh, so you, you you're saying that this is exactly what you were using within your 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 own agency you kind of build a tool to to make that workflow easier and then what was the trigger did you did you see hey maybe somebody else would be would be interested in that or were people actively asking for a cheaper solution than hiring you guys yeah you know so if you look at our organization there's only two people in the org that came in with seo experience before joining the company it's me and and our director of seo and despite that, we had the best SEO campaign on the internet last year, growing from about zero to 500,000 visitors per month. And the, you know, as, as I, I spent actually my entire career in, in SaaS, early stage SaaS companies, and I didn't recently move in, I only recently moved into services about three years ago when I wanted to reskill my career from business development and sales into marketing. And so I joined a marketing agency to run sales actually, but I knew that in the process, I would learn how to do marketing. And so I'm a SaaS guy and I took a temporary pit stop in, in services, but you know, I, I want to create SaaS products. Of course, as, as we do, that's why we're on the show. And now the main topic of course is of today is, is to build teams in Eastern Europe. Now you're from Seattle. How, how did you get the idea to start hiring overseas? So I left that agency job that taught me how to do SEO. I, I felt like I was in a position where I could, you know, do it better on my own and um, capture more value. And so I ended up leaving and one of the first projects I picked up, I hired a writer to, to execute on the, the content that I needed done. And I ended up bringing that person on full time. And she just happened to live in Belgrade, Serbia, where I'm taking the podcast from today. And it just kind of you know, the path of least resistance. And she reached into our network, 
she spoke the local language, she understood the culture, and so it was just easiest for us to, to continue to build the core team where my employee number one is. And, and so today, you know, she started off as a writer about 18 months ago, 20 months ago, and now she's leading our 25-person content team as our director of operations. Wow. That is that is very impressive and very quick growth. Did you did you have any any troubles hiring locally in Serbia? How, how did you go about that? Just within her network, or or did you ha- work with any recruiters or or local job boards or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. So the the first place she looked was her network. She has a master's in English, and so she had you know colleagues that she had particip- you know like sat next to and went to school with for like six years. And so that's the first place we looked. And then those people ended up bringing their friends. And a lot of them were actually f- former teachers where they, they got their master's in English and they were teaching Serbians on English. And, and so we, you know, brought them in, into our content team. We actually, are, you know, I have a lot to say about recruiting, but, you know, we just brought on our first recruiting man- kind of people ops manager and a recruitment coordinator because we need to grow our team from about 30 today to 60 by the end of the year. And I think you mentioned the very core core piece of the entire strategy right there is that a lot of you find a lot of hesitation when it comes to hiring remotely and abroad, also in Eastern Europe, is because of fluency in English, of you know the grammar skills. Uh, I personally, I'm not a native. I'm not that that fluent or flawless in in, in writing or, or speaking. So, how has your experience been here? Because it seems like there's a lot of people with actual English degrees. How how much is that? You know, it's funny because a lot of the people on my team have less of an accent that I would hear just walking around Seattle. You know, we have Amazon and Microsoft and half the cities in H1B. <laughs> And so, you know, like they could blend in, you know, if, if they didn't say on their LinkedIn that they lived in Belgrade, you know, they could very easily live in Seattle or San Francisco or, you know, kind of New York or Miami or, you know, even many, many cities within the U.S. And I think, you know, you know, it's interesting. It's English is not the first language. And so the subset of people that we can recruit from is is pretty limited. And, you know, what we see is that these people started learning English when they were a kid through video games or Western media. They just kept it up and then they, they pursued, you know, six years of, of English mastery. And honestly, they know grammar rules that, you know, I haven't heard since sixth grade. And, you know, our, these guys are better writers than, than I am. And I think, you know, when you're scaling as fast as we have, the easiest thing for people to do is let things slide. It's easier for everybody if they just let things slide because it's, there's a lot of work to do. And, and, and I think when you, when you spend six years you know, mastering English, there's a certain passion for like, you know, content and grammar and like correctness. And especially when you go on to get your advanced master's degree, like, you you know, there's a little bit of like an eliteness of like, you know, like not on my watch. And I think, I think the fact that they spent so long in school is a really good indicator that they're not, they're not going to let it happen on their watch. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, I, I think people are very passionate about about that and about uh, anywhere in the world, essentially, about what they want to do, what they are doing, and that this kind of vibe, especially the startup vibe, is really flooding into uh, a lot of these countries, and, and people are very excited to work with, with, with international companies. Yeah, you know, I think, like, what I'm, what I'm kind of, like, really excited about is, like, over the next five years, you know, the alumni in our organization are going to go on and they're going to bring the skill sets that they learned here to the rest of the companies in Belgrade. And, 
you know, right now they're getting experience that you really can't get for a local company because we're operating, you know, on San Francisco level scale with like series A startups that literally want to take over the world. The the things that they learn just aren't available if you're working for a local company and, and the things that they're learning can't be taken from them. And so, you know, I'm excited to see the sophistication in Belgrade, you know, three to five years from now. A hundred percent, because what, what we've noticed and I've been working in and with Eastern Europe for almost 10 years now. And in the very beginning, it was literally Microsoft and, and the likes of, of the big corporations moving into, same as, as, let's say, India, for example, moving into these countries and, and, and building huge, huge offices because they could afford that to, well, save on employment costs, of course, whether that is developers or building call centers or, or things like that. And so people obviously went there because it was better pay. It was a more international job. But what happened then is these these small agencies started spreading, specifically targeted at foreign customers, right? This is where the classic outsourcing boom kind of started to work with an agency, whether it was a dev shop or, or a marketing agency from Eastern Europe. And people started to want to work within those because that's not a corporation. This is the closest you could get to a startup, to an international environment, and to work on meaningful products where your change would impact it right away. But now, especially last year, that really changed again, where tolerancy of international companies really shifted towards hiring directly. It's not that scary anymore. It's called remote work now. It has nothing to do with outsourcing. So people are, again, really excited to, to work in that environment. And the next step, obviously, is exactly what you're saying. It's going to be working for local startups, for local founders who have the same tool belt and experience because they come from within this environment that you are creating, for example. Yeah, you know, the I, I read an interesting observation and I forgot who it was. It's probably some comment on Hacker News. But they said the reason San Francisco is San Francisco and that it can't be repeated despite how much money VCs might pour into the ecosystem of a specific city is because what happened with SF is, you know, people join companies, they they learn best practices, then they, they left and they, they took those best practices with them. And it just happened again and again and again and again since you know, they started building semiconductors, you know, in like 50s or 60s or whatever. And so I think that's really critical. You need, you know, you need to work at a big scale. You need to learn, learn best practices. And then those people need to have some sort of successful, you know, exit into, into other companies. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's right, actually. And well, now that you've built your, your team in Serbia, do you, did you notice any cultural difference, any difference in communication or an approach in, in the work that people do? Yeah, actually, we just had a meme contest and I took a lot of shots at a Serbian culture. You know, I've never been, no one's ever referred to me as hey boss before. And I haven't heard any Americans ever refer to their boss as boss, maybe in a blue collar, but absolutely not tech. And I feel like it's more common here and it makes me pretty, pretty uncomfortable. You know, I'm, I'm just Nick. I think the other thing that's that's hard for you know Eastern Europeans is you know talking in public Slack channels and asking questions and being seen as someone who doesn't have all the answers. We have to do a lot of work to make people feel comfortable typing in public Slack channels instead of DMing, feeling comfortable asking questions. And I feel like that's a little bit more allowed in in U.S. business culture. And so that's been. That's been uh, a challenge. And then I think the last one is around like making mistakes, you know, as a marketer and as kind of a founder, 
I know that the best way to get somewhere is to iterate. And that means that there's a lot of things that don't work and I'm completely comfortable with being wrong because I know that being wrong will get me closer to being right. And so, you know, I can't tell anyone in my org not to make mistakes if that's my key, you know, learning strategy. And it's not something that, you know, Eastern Europeans typically hear from their boss. Yeah, no, that that is true. Although you see that that changing up as more the more people work in an international environment. But another question that I have, and that's super super curious, because I I know you travel a lot. You were in in Thailand, right? In Thailand, the past ten plus months. Awesome. And so, and you just came back to 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 Belgrade. And so, how how long did you actually stay in Belgrade? Did you did you live there for a while, or or how did you organize that? Yeah, definitely. So I, when I left the agency that I learned marketing at, I was actually planning to move to Europe. I've lived in Rio de Janeiro. I lived in Thailand previously, and you know, there's nothing new for me to discover in Seattle. And and my life is actually pretty boring. You know, I work and I work out. But if I do that in a foreign country, now my boring life is all of a sudden exciting again because I'm buying groceries in a language I don't understand, and I'm not sure if you know, drivers here stop for pedestrians, and you know, there's all this like. There's all this challenge in my day-to-day boring life that I don't get by doing that same stuff in, a, in America. And so I actually wanted to move to the EU, but as an American, I can only stay there for 90 days. And, and I just hired this person in, in Belgrade. And so it made sense for me to move to Belgrade. And so I spent eight months in Belgrade before I ended up getting trapped in Thailand. But in that first six months, I think we only hired one or two, you know, one or two people. And it really all the growth came in after I left. So would you say that a team like that can be built, even a local team of 25 or now almost 60 people without you being on the ground? Because that's also one of the biggest worries that, that remote founders have is, do I should I be on the ground? How often can I be there? I mean, it's it's not easy to fly over from the US to Europe every month, let's, let's say. It's possible, but certainly not something everybody wants to do all the time. Uh, yeah, you know, I think we worked remotely. I worked remotely with, with Gordana. I'll just call her Gordana instead of my director of ops or this our employee number one. You know, I worked with her for about three months remotely before I ended up moving over to, to Belgrade and I was there, you know, for eight months. And I think it was really, like it was really important for like the early days of the organization where I was still figuring, it was just me and her and I was still figuring everything out and, and you know, and building trust and, and stuff like that. But I don't think it's necessary because, you know, it was just me and Gordana when I left and then we have 25 people and actually I was remarking to some people on my team, like it doesn't even feel like we've never met before because I haven't met 99% of the people on the team, but the communication is so good that like, I actually didn't feel alone while living in Thailand for 14 months, even though I didn't have any friends. <laughs> and so what's your, what's your plan now that you're back? How long do you want to stay? I don't know. We're talking about moving to like trying to get into the EU next year. I'm going to take my directors and my leadership team and we want to go live in Portugal. You know, we want to we want to try and get in there somehow. We're not sure if we have to Why Portugal. Greece, Spain, somewhere, you know, hot and kind of Mediterranean style. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, that makes certain sense considering that myself a bit always on and off, you know, it's, it's a dream. But another question of course is with one person, I suppose you can easily hire them as a freelancer, but people are wondering, you have 25 or more members in the team. How does that look like 
legally and of course you're not a lawyer this is not legal advice that any of us are giving here but how does that look like with you did you have any challenges with actually getting money across to people and paying them and, and employing them yeah you know so i think first off like like you know as a two-person startup compliance was not even on my radar at all and it's it's just starting to get there but i think you know even though we're not legally you know required we don't have a local presence we're a u.s company even though we're not legally required to do certain things that local companies wouldn't be, we've, we've decided to do those things anyways. And I think one of the big ones is, is our PTO policy. Entry-level team members in our organization get 32 days of PTO per year. And when I look at my peers, you know, my mom in the US, she worked at the same company for 20 years, Paul Allen Brain Institute, very well, you know, very well-funded progressive nonprofit. She had 15 days. Most people have 10. And I think, you know, we decided to voluntary voluntarily comply with as many of the things that local companies would have to as possible. So we try and like, you know, in America, it's, you know, termination for convenience at any time. We try and, you know, give people a heads up if they're, if they're not working out and, you know, we have to split ways. And so we do our best to, to unofficially accommodate as much as we can. But, you know, going through what I've gone through, I think global compliance, employment compliance is is almost impossible. You know, I think that the reason that I'm considering it is because we have a big team in, in Serbia, but what if our team grows in Pakistan or Philippines or South Africa, you know, do we have to also create local entities and comply with local employment law and all those other countries? And the answer is, is we're just not resourced enough. I mean, it's, it's, it's good you're saying that because just simply complying with the local law in terms of how much, you know, vacation or, or public holidays does somebody get. That's not the hard point. It's a bit of an administrative issue to keep that in sort of keep track of it. But that's not the hard part. The hard part is what if I'm required to have these local entities, to have lawyers, to, to open up subsidiaries, to, I mean, you can't even close them easily enough, to get taxed, worry about 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 a corporate tax even, don't even get me started on that one. So there's, there's a lot of issues that people are worrying about. And the sad part is that there's a lot of countries who, especially during the pandemic, are starting to realize that they need to get more tax from some industry that is 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 growing and has not been affected by COVID, and they are getting you know remote workers on the radars. For example, Serbia, right? Serbia has really started closing down on full-time freelancers, which is a thing that a few other countries are doing as well. And we're monitoring very closely, trusting. But there's still ways to to go by that, or there's still a lot of countries where you can hire freelancers. But it is definitely something to watch out for if you're trying to build a major team anywhere, essentially. Yeah, you know, the bigger the team gets, the the bigger the liability it becomes. You know, yeah, it's just it's just tough for everybody. It's tough for for our team and or me and our team. You know, speaking from a compliance perspective, Americans, you know, as soon as they have a single dollar in a foreign bank account, that has to be reported and even. You know, if you have $2 and you report $1, that's a $10,000 fine and it can go back six years. And so, you know, a simple mistake can create a $50,000 liability when the mistake was a difference of $10. And, and I would have to terminate my existing accountant relationship because she's not qualified to handle the, the complexities of 
you know, you know, two different entities in different countries. And I'd have to go find competent representation for tax and legal in both Serbia and the US. And, you know, I know my own hiring rate. I've hired a couple bad people. I don't trust myself to, to find the right vendor on the first time. And the consequences of, of picking a bad vendor is extremely, extremely high. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's not a joke. International tax compliance is not a joke. We have a bit of experience with that ourselves with different countries. And yeah, this is this is the tool belt for bigger organizations. This is not for startups. It's it's it, it may seem easy if you have a team in in one country, especially like really just in one country. We're not speaking about distributed team in in 20 different countries, but really just one. It seems easy to say, why don't we open up a local entity, but it, it, it does get tricky, even with the first one. And uh, really good consultants is, is, is necessary. As you said, in your home country, in that country, understanding how to make that work cross-border. So uh, probably what you would say as well is, is to see where you can legally hire freelancers for as long as possible, probably. You know, I'm like, even though we've had this incredible growth, I'm, you know, I'm still focused on like stability and, and de-risking. And, you know, it's very hard for me to, to add all this compliance burden onto my plate. Like it's just, you know, not only are we under resourced to, to handle it, but we're just under, you know, time constraints. We're not that sophisticated. You know, I went from this like guy who's good at SEO to all of a sudden I have to be good at all of these other things that I'm not so good at. And so it's been, it's been a big challenge. I think Serbia, particularly there's chatter that there's this new freelance kind of work status that will make it easier. And I, you know, I think it has to happen because I just like, if, if Serbia wants to be awesome, you know, like working for foreign companies that can bring in that skill set like we discussed earlier and spread that around is, is a necessary step. You know, I also think we can compensate better than local companies because our team creates more value because we're not servicing the Serbian market. And so, you know, the, the government has to make this, well, the ball, every government has to make this kind of trade-off in terms of like, how hard do we want to make it for our workers to be successful in the international, you know, labor force. A hundred percent. And I think that the country that's going to make this easy will actually win this and it will have a very, very healthy labor market, a very healthy labor market of specialists bringing home a, a, a decent amount of money. Look at Ukraine, for example. It's very easy to hire Ukrainians at that point. And the taxation is very easy as well for, for them. And Ukraine currently is the biggest, the biggest international tech labor market there is in Eastern Europe. I don't want to say bigger than than Pakistan or India, of course, because these are countries with a totally different magnitude, but but in, in Eastern Europe, definitely. So I, I guess I guess that this is a very successful model. In any way, I know that you've been writing up all of your experiences with, with hiring remotely and building remote teams. Uh, where can people find more about that? Strongerteams.com. So yeah, we're gonna be sharing all the processes and SOPs and templates we've used to grow our remote team with. You know what? I think that every single remote company ends up reinventing the wheel. They all have to create, you know, like here's how you set up your email signature and like, you know, here's how you decide whether you use a public channel or the DMs and like, you know, here's how you should. And there's all this stuff, it all has to be reinvented and, and I think why, you know, and so, we kind of want to create like this like open source remote 
work framework that other people can use, take our knowledge bases and, you know, work on their core business instead of, you know, their PTO policy. Because we already did it for you. 100%. That is, that is awesome. Yeah, so everybody had to strongerteams.com. And uh, where can people find more about you and content distribution? Contentdistribution.com. We're going to be depreciating this brand, you know, over the next three to six months and everything is going to be moving to stronger teams. Uh, but I'm Nick from Seattle on everything. Nick from Seattle on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, Nick from Seattle. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nick. That's been a real pleasure. And uh, chat soon. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I hope, you know, I hope your audience learned some of the challenges about, you know, global, global compliance. I think, you know, everyone is so focused on like leads and sales, you know, and no one's really talking about operations and what it takes to actually great. You have a great product, you have good leads, your, your marketing's good, your sales is good. What's next. And I like, and over the course of the last six months, I've, I found it fascinating to kind of dive into all these things that were previously like hidden from, you know, my understanding of what it takes to grow a good company. hundred percent. This show is brought to you by trust your friendly concierge to find reliable and tested software developers from Eastern Europe. We recruit full-time developers, match you to an experienced software house that's ideal for your requirements, or recommend a reliable freelancer for smaller projects. But most importantly, you benefit from our experience of developing software remotely for almost 10 years. We give you one-on-one guidance all the way so you're never lost. Stop the tedious hiring or vetting process and get matched to reliable talent. Sign up for a free consulting call with one of our experts today. Go to trustshoring.com.